Good morning, Cross Point. Good morning. Hope you all are doing well. Children, you can be released for Children's Church, and thank you so much for joining us and worshiping with us uh, this morning. It's hard to believe, but tomorrow starts my three-month sabbatical. I'm so thankful that you guys are excited as well. That a sabbatical, it's really this intentional and extended time to step back from the, the roles, responsibilities, routines of ministry to step into this time of, of rest and restoration in God, about renewing that relationship with God, giving out of an overflow of who he is um, in our lives. There, there's part of me, <clears throat> in all honesty, that that's nervous. Like, is there this expectation that it'll be like Moses walking up on the mountain, right? Meets with God, comes back. I'll be all like gray and face glowing with the Shekinah glory. That's not going to happen. No expectation of that whatsoever. But there's this just deep gratefulness that I consider this a privilege to be able to step into this time. I'm grateful for the elders in their both encouragement and support to step into this time. I'm also so grateful for, for you guys, the way that you have stepped up when, when we've asked for help in different areas leading up to the sabbatical and, and really coming around together as a community in the way that so many have are stepping up to serve together. Thank you for, for your support, for, for your generosity toward our family in this season that there's a lot of unknowns. I don't really know what to expect stepping into tomorrow. Like Kirsten and I were figuring it up. It was actually April, 26 years ago, that we first stepped into full-time ministry when we boarded a 747 to leave for the Middle East. And it's been a journey coming to this point here today. And we're kind of stepping into now this time of, of rest and it's like, what's that gonna be? But in the process of this, it's led me in these weeks and months leading up to this moment to study more fully the idea of Sabbath, which I want to talk about today. Like, what is it? What does it mean, the Sabbath? Because I think I entered it with a, a, a general understanding. Like, if, if I were to ask you, what is the Sabbath? What would come to mind? Because what would have come to my mind prior to some of this more in-depth study was, okay, it's one day of rest out of seven days, remembering that, that God is sovereign, that he is creator, and, and that we're, we're taking time to step back from the routine. But is that all it is? Because I feel like as I've studied, as I've prepared my own heart for this season, that it's much more. The, the, the what is Sabbath? What is a sabbatical? Why did God give us a Sabbath rest? And why does my heart often resist this good invitation? That's what I want to talk about this morning, but I'm doing so from a perspective, not that I have it figured out, but I'm on the journey. Because I haven't always done this well. It's something I feel that God is inviting me into in this coming season and inviting us into together, like for the series and what you're going to hear from A.D. And, and Justin, that we'll be walking through this together. What does it mean to rest in God, dwell in his presence through the highs and lows of life? What does that look like? 
Even if you'd never have an opportunity to take a sabbatical, we're still invited into a Sabbath. So how do we live that out? What does that mean? So let me open in prayer, and I want to walk through what I've learned up to this point, and then in three months, you'll get to hear the follow-up sermon of what I've actually learned in this time. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for this moment here this morning. Not knowing what tomorrow holds or any future date, Lord, but being present in this moment, sitting together under your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak, you would lead, you would guide. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see the beauty of the truth contained in your words. And in Jesus' name, amen. The idea of Sabbath is from the very beginning of scripture. It's found in the very first chapters. We'll see here in in Genesis chapter two of the creation account. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. Six days and, and God made everything. And on the seventh day, God had completed his work and all that he had done and he rested. In Hebrew, it's literally Shabbat. It means to cease from working. He stopped. And on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, and God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Now think about this. For just a moment, everything that God has done up to this point, right, when there was nothing, when the Spirit hovered above the waters and there was nothing, he said, let there be light, and there was light. When there was no earth, he formed it. When there were no birds of the sky, there were no fish of the sea, he created them with the power of his words. And he said it was good, but he did not call it holy. He stopped. And when he was doing nothing, no power of his spoken word, no incredibly creating out of nothing, when he stopped, that day he called holy. It stands out. Now, why? This was something new that that I learned, that an ancient Near Eastern motif, it implies that God resting was ultimately associated with temple building. So consider this for a moment, that this might actually be the purpose of creation itself, is as if God, as if the earth is God's creation, his dwelling place, not merely a playhouse for his creation, not just a kiddie house in the backyard for the kids to play on while the adults sit in the quiet of their own living room, but that it is actually the sanctuary of God. This picture of earth being God's temple runs throughout all of scripture, as we'll see. But now some of you may think like, okay, really? But there's also some passages that I'm thinking of. When we think of the transcendence of God, let us never assume that God can be contained in what we understand as the earth. Because it says the heavens, the highest heavens, the furthest extent of space cannot contain or hold the magnificence of God. It can't. The the heavens are God's throne. The earth is his footstool. Don't try to fit God into our own understanding. But at the same time, God chose for his presence to dwell among men in creation. This is what we see in the garden. So along with the stopping, along with this idea of ceasing on the seventh day, then in Genesis 2.15, he calls 
Adam and Eve to the Hebrew word is nuach. It means to dwell. To dwell with, to settle in, to rest them in his presence. You know on the seventh day there's no evening and morning? Why? I think the original intent was for that seventh day of rest to be what existed for all eternity. Because what do we see at the end of Scripture? There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and God's presence will dwell with them. And there will be no more night, because God's presence will be a light unto them, and God will dwell with his people. That was the purpose of creation. And so on the seventh day, he stopped. And he called it Shabbat. And it was created for man. Think of of how this impacts. Because then there was the fall, right? There there, there was the the fall and and there was rebellion. And and, and instead of resting in God's presence, instead of striving and ceasing and, and resting, that they decided to strive for it to be themselves God, to strive on their own to labor and they themselves become God and walk in rebellion. But even then, God gave a command to the nation of Israel. At the, at, on Mount Sinai to Moses in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember it. Don't forget that even though there's a fall, even though it's been broken, don't forget the Sabbath day continues. Keep it. I installed it. God was the one who called it holy. Now you observe it. Keep it. You'll labor for six days. You'll do all your work. But on the seventh day, that is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and everything in them in six days. And then he Sabbath, he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Now, here's the thing. Before God commanded the Sabbath, he demonstrated it. And I didn't make this connection initially. Like before he spoke this command, he's already demonstrated it because if you remember the nation of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt. They were being persecuted. The labor intensely, it got harder and harder. Work, 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 produce, produce, produce. And God freed them from that. They were led out into the wilderness, but then they're like, I'm kind of hungry. What are we going to eat? And manna came from heaven. And God fed them each day. But if they tried to store that food, like, okay, I'm kind of hungry today, but I'm going to be hungry tomorrow, so let me store up a little bit more of this manna, it began to stink, and it had maggots and mold. And so every morning, they had to go out and collect the manna, this daily bread. They had to rely on God each and every day, being dependent on him, not just preparing for the future, but God was their future. But on the sixth day, they could take a double portion They could prepare for the sixth day and the seventh day because on the seventh day, there was no manna from heaven. God would provide that on the sixth day so that they could rest, so that they could stop the working Shabbat and that they could be in the presence of God and restored. 
So by time God says these words, this command, it's already been demonstrated to them. And so God instructed, keep the Sabbath holy. Look to God as your sovereign creator. Look to God as your redeemer. Stop the striving. Stop the work. And the rest is to ultimately rest in the presence of God, to dwell, settle, be in him. Look to God as your savior, your redeemer. God is to be worshiped. And it not only implies, so you have creation, you have then this command, but you also now have the culture. This idea of Sabbath now was impacting the culture for the nation of Israel to not just a day of the week, but now a year out of seven. In Exodus 23, it says, sow your land for six years, gather its produce. But during the seventh year, you are to let it rest and leave it uncultivated. Allow people and, and wild animals that they may consume what they leave. There was cultural implications now that the Sabbath began to have in this extended time, not just for people, but also for creation itself that shaped the culture for the Jewish nation. To let the land rest. This was, came to be known as a sabbatical year. People were, uh, indentured servants were free. Debts were forgiven. The land itself was said to rest. And the purpose had a, an agricultural significance. Like, have you ever noticed how farmers alternate crops? Like, the, there's a, a field in the back uh, behind my parents' house. And you can see it. Like one year they'll plant soybean and the next year they'll plant corn. And it's like, okay, are they just like indifferent? Can they not decide? But there's a reason because when you plant a crop in the ground, it both absorbs and releases nutrients into the ground. So when you plant soy into the, the soil, it's going to release into the soil nitrates. Now corn, on the other hand, absorbs those nitrates. And so can you see what's happening? One is absorbing, releasing different nutrients into the soil, and so they're alternated. But once every seven years, the land was just supposed to lay for nothing to happen, to allow the replenishment of those nutrients by allowing people and animals to eat on it. Because what do animals do after they eat? They're going to poop. <laughs> right? They're going to fertilize the field. Like the reality is if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, it strips all the nutrients out so there's nothing left. There's this invitation, this command to stop, to break the routine, to break the momentum that's always going forward and to be renewed and replenished in God. That's the invitation. Because if we keep going, we'll have nothing left to give of our own strength. This is why it was called the sabbatical year, a Sabbath, a time to stop. But not just stop. It's not just a vacation. It's not just stopping email for work. It's not just not doing that. It's not just sitting in a room alone or playing video games or something. This is, this is an intentional time of stopping the normal routine 
in dwelling, resting in the presence of God. It's Shabbat and Nuah. It's both that need to happen as we look to God. But here's the question. Here's what I've been wrestling with. So is the Sabbath for today? Like, is this just something for the Jewish people? Is this something that Christians should observe today? And if so, how? And if not, why not? What should this look like for us here, not living in, in Israel, not being Jews ourselves? What does this mean? And I think this is where we have to look at the teachings of Jesus. What does he have to say? What is he inviting us into? How do we practice this today? In Mark 2, 27 and 28, Jesus says these words. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, but not man for the Sabbath. So then the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here's the thing to keep in mind. This is why it's good to kind of read the Gospels together in chronological order of how it happens, because the passage that precedes this in the Gospel of Matthew is important. It's a passage we're familiar with, but I want to connect this familiar passage to what Jesus is saying here about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. But right before this, Jesus said these words, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are, are, are burdened down, and I will give you rest. I'll give you Sabbath. Take up my yoke, learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in spirit, and you will find rest, you will find Sabbath for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Sabbath was made for man. The Jews at the time of Jesus were strictly, strictly adhering to what could or could not be done on the Sabbath. See, they had a checklist of everything you could and couldn't do. You couldn't walk too far. You couldn't spit on the ground on Sabbath because if you spit on the ground, you were turning the soil and that was work. Hence the reason, as a side note, why Jesus spit on the ground to make a mud pie to heal the blind eyes of the man. He was proving a point that was on the Sabbath day. He was mocking their man-made rules, their legalistic interpretation and so, see, you can come with your checklist. Okay, you can do this. You can't do this. What can I do? What can I do? I can't do, like, I can't check email. I can't make phone calls. I can't watch TV. Like, what can I and can't I do on the Sabbath? And we can approach Sabbath like that. And Jesus is like, you've missed the point entirely. The Sabbath was created for you. You weren't created for the Sabbath. It's not like you're, this Sabbath is just, here, follow this list of rules. Man is not meant to be confined by the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath is given as a gift to man. It is a gift to stop. And it is a gift to rest and dwell in the presence of God. This is a gift. Think about this. When God was creating the heavens and the earth, 
when he made it all and he stood back and he called it holy when he did nothing. He knew that this was created for you. This stopping, this ceasing was created for you because you need it. It's why he created it. The Sabbath was created for man. This is why later on in Colossians we read, the Sabbath is not a specific day. Some say, oh, it has to be observed on Saturday. Oh, it has to be observed on Sunday. The Sabbath has to be this particular day. And and yet Colossians goes on to say, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. It wasn't confined. Don't just think about it. Oh, it has to be Sunday. I can't do anything. But you need a day. There's still a principle at work to stop and to dwell and rest in his presence. One commentary I read said this, we Shabbat, we cease in order to nuah. We Shabbat in order to nuah. We cease from the work in order to rest in God's presence, to dwell with him. When we stop working, we can truly rest in God's presence. When we practice this purposeful pause, we make room for God to take up residence in our individual lives and communities. And when we do this, we take part in the new creation story, setting the stage for God to make his dwelling place again on earth. Do you see that? Do you, do you see this through line that God created earth to be his dwelling place where he would dwell with man for eternity. No day, no night on the seventh day. This was intended to be for all eternity, to cease from work. But then sin brought the curse of work. Sin brought the separation. Sin brought the striving. But when we take time to we stop There's both a physical and a spiritual implication. Think about this spiritually. How each of us, trying to justify ourselves before God, I've done more good than bad, I'm a good person. And we try to declare ourselves good and right. It can't be done. We couldn't strive hard enough. We couldn't accomplish enough to ever be good enough. And yet when Jesus hung on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. He paid the penalty of our sin in full, and it was done, the curtain torn. And it was finished, the work that we could never accomplish on our own was done. And so what does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary, who are heavy burdened, and find your rest in me. When we stop the movement and we stop the flailing, and we surrender ourselves to his arms. There is a spiritual reality here, but there's also a physical reality in which the world was created, in a physical earth where God's presence would dwell and where where it one day will dwell for all eternity in a new heaven, in a new earth. And rest, 
will be our reality forever. And when we take time today, now, to practice that reality, to stop the movement, to stop the momentum that's ever pushing us forward, to rest, we are telling the story that is to come yet again. We are practicing what will be our reality forever today. This is the invitation, the gift that God is giving to us. Now here's the thing, I can say all this with great boldness and I am terrible at practicing it. And I've had to wrestle with the question, why? Like, right? Like if we're honest, I'm assuming that, that we feel that pull to go, to produce the next thing. In the idea of stopping to rest in the presence of God, you're like, yes, please. And yet everything I do pulls an attention against that. Why? This is part of what I've had to wrestle with, even in the study of this. And, and why don't I have, why haven't I stepped into I think the fullness of a Sabbath rhythm that God has. Why is it that I can't sit still? Why does it feel like I always need to be doing something? Why is it that email is the first thing I check in the morning? Why has my phone become so critical? Why can I be so puffed up to feel needed? Why do I feel better about myself when I'm producing? And it's so hard and it's so counterintuitive to stop. Like I've shared with some of you, why did I have so many dreams last night of everything that can possibly go wrong with me leaving on sabbatical last night to my stomach was in knots this morning? Like even while I'm sleeping, I'm anxious. Why? I want to give us some reasons. I want to give us three categories to consider because it's one thing to give us this invitation. I pray that you feel this invitation to do two things, to Sabbath, which is to cease, to stop, and then to nuach, to dwell, to settle in and rest in silence. Let the earth be silent before the Lord as it says in Habakkuk 2.20, and let us just be still and silent in his presence. It's both of these. I pray you feel that invitation anew. But I also want you to examine in your heart why you resist that. Because you're going to have the opportunity as well in this coming series and in these coming weeks to walk through some of the realities of what it looks like to rest and to remain silent and settle in God's presence in these coming weeks. But I also want you to be aware of, of why you may resist that invitation you long for. Most of these come from personal reflections that I'm still wrestling with. There could be many more. <laughs> but one is a fear of falling behind. I, the title was a little iffy on that one, but... The reality is this, life is fast-paced, right? Like, 
Things slowed down during COVID, and I think we all kind of wish that we could restart life at a different pace, and before we know it, it's no different than it was. It's a competitive world. Many people fear that if they don't keep the momentum moving forward, they'll be left behind. Being constantly busy, on the go, can kind of become addicting. Have you ever like got running really fast on the treadmill and you know if you were to hit that red stop button, you would probably crash and fall and make a fool out of yourself and hurt yourself? Like you either have to keep your legs moving beneath you or it's going to go terribly wrong. And so the idea of Sabbath is like hitting that red button when life is going too fast and it's just a little too scary. And so we would rather just keep the momentum going forward. Because maybe we doubt that God's our provider. Or maybe I wrestle with control. And the reality is the world can feel like chaos and the world around us and the things we oversee and try to manage can feel like they're in disorder. And as long as I'm doing something, I feel okay. But if I am to stop, I have to come with the realization that things are actually chaotic and God is the one who's in control, not me. And that's a scary feeling. And so we keep moving. And we refuse to hit the stop. Or maybe it's guilt and self-worth. Some people feel guilty when you take time to rest. Believing that you always have to be productive. You always have to be effective. Like taking a nap, like you can't do that, right? Early bird gets the worm. So does the bird who waits for the ring. We tie our self-worth to our accomplishments. And needing to rest, needing to stop, saying I need a break, is a sign of weakness. It decreases our value as a person and how we see ourselves. I I need to earn my keep. I I need to prove my value. And so I try to prove my worth and my value by how much I do, how much I'm needed, by how busy we are, has become another form of prestige to how much money we make or what kind of house we live in or what kind of car. Oh, I'm so busy, so busy. We wear it like a badge of honor, and it's not. Is your self-worth wrapped up in your momentum of life. Or third, unresolved emotions. For many, resting can bring up difficult emotions and memories that, quite honestly, you would rather avoid or suppress. And so when you stop, when you allow there to be silence and the music's turned off and the TV's turned off and it's just silent... I don't like the thoughts that come, the feelings that surface. And so if if we just resist the silence, if we resist the stillness, if we resist the solitude, then then I can kind of push that beneath the surface and just keep going because I'm not ready to deal with that yet. 
it's a warning my sabbatical coach gave me in, in preparation. He said, it's like you're, you're whitewater rafting and, and the waves are crashing around you on the boat and it's good and it's great and like some people thrive on that. And it's like, keep paddling, keep it straight, keep it above water, like don't drown. And, and it's great, like you have a, a purpose, you have a mission, something to drive to. And then all of a sudden, this is what you can pray for me. And in these coming weeks, they say, then you stop and the waves are calmed and the water turns clear. And everything that's been under the surface now comes to the surface. And then he's like, and then you're going to want to fix something because that's what we do. You find what's broken and you fix it. And so you're going to want to fix your spouse. You're going to want to fix yourself. And it's like, don't do it. Not healthy. <laughs> like, it's not just finding another thing to fix, but allowing God to meet us. What are you running from? Like if I told you, you had to sit for an hour this afternoon, no music, no TV, no background noise, just sit in silence. Why would that be so hard? What are you running from? Because it's one thing to talk about the invitation that's before us that is good and beautiful and needed. We feel the need for it. But we also have to be honest as, as why do we resist it? How might God be inviting you to stop and to rest in his presence in these coming weeks? How might God be inviting that to me? What might he want to say? It's why I'm excited and scared, quite honestly. I don't know what awaits. I don't know what God wants to say, but I know I long to have my heart restored before God, to have the nutrients of my heart renewed, restored in him for whatever lies ahead. Let's pray.